welcome, friends, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. If you're new to the show, I'm your hostess, Karen Tate, named one of the 13 most influential women in goddess spirituality. I'm also the author of the books, Goddess Calling, Walking an Ancient Path, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, and I've curated the anthology, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape Our World. And I thank you for taking your valuable time to be with me tonight and warmly invite you to partake of the wisdom sharing from the show that so many of you have lovingly called the treasure trove of wisdom for our time. And thanks to Be Optimistic, a band from across the pond, for allowing us to use that uh, upbeat little snippet from their cut titled Maria in honor of the Sacred Feminine. Well, um, I hope you've been tuning in to my special October series uh, honoring the ancestors called Gone But Not Forgotten, Their Voices and Work Live On. In this series, uh, running about uh, maybe about four more weeks, uh, you'll have access to some extra shows besides the regularly scheduled Wednesday night show. On Mondays and uh, Fridays in October and a little bit into early November, you'll have reminders coming to your inbox of the interviews I've done with our four mothers and Now, you'll get those reminders if you've clicked the follow button on my show page, enabling you to get the links to the shows. On Monday Pass, we started with Lydia Rule. This Friday is Lady Olivia Robertson. Uh, if you don't click the follow button, however, you'll have to mark your calendar to remember to listen or search through the archives to hear once again either the voice of these beloved ancestors or a tribute to them. Uh, coming up, I'll be honoring Lane Redman, author of When the Drummers Were Women, uh, you'll hear our interview uh, that we did before she passed, likewise with uh, journalist and author Merlin Stone. Um, you'll hear Isaac Bonowitz, Patricia Monahan, and a tribute to Deborah Moore, and several others. So please, uh, as is customary this time of year, tune in and avail yourself of the wisdom of these way showers to whom we owe so much. Their voices and work live on here on Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. Now, last week, uh, my interview uh, with my second guest, uh, Starhawk, went a bit long, so uh, I didn't get to uh, something I promised to cover with you, uh, the five ways you can help animals, if that's the kind of action that calls to your heart uh, to make the world a better place. So um, I'll get to it tonight, if you're patient, and stay with me till the end of my interview. Uh, I'll also want to share some excerpts from an article a listener uh, by the name of Dharma uh, brought to my attention, titled Spiritual politics and social change calling for a spiritual revolution and I think the author was Dwayne Townsend okay so uh, turning our attention to uh, tonight's show uh, we have Lazara Allen with us and uh, she caught my attention with her new book jailbreaking the goddess a radical revisioning of feminist spirituality uh, she calls herself uh, a wild-hearted change agent. She delivers tools for transformation, provides strategies for embodiment, and creates vibrant spaces for personal and collective liberation. Um, she's the best-selling author of uh, Sexy Witch, uh, and uh, Llewellyn published Sexy Witch as well as Jailbreaking the Goddess. So, um, 
you know, I thought uh, this is a lady that uh, might be a kindred sister with uh, with my uh, penchant for sacred feminine liberation theology. So I said, I've got to talk to her. So here she is with me tonight. Welcome, Lazara. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very pleased to be here. Well, you know, I love the title of your book, uh, Jailbreaking the Goddess. Um, you know, you have to tell me, how did, uh, how did you come up with that? Was it one of those 3 a.m. dreams that just sort of filtered through uh, your psyche, some divine inspiration, or was it something more mundane than that? <laughs> right. Well, that's a great question. Um, so the funny thing is the book was originally just titled The Fivefold Goddess. Um, and since you have the have read the book, you'll know uh, the fivefold model is a model that I'm offering that you can nest the threefold, you know, more well-known maiden mother crone model into, or you can just step into this new newer model. Um, so, so initially the book was being called The Fivefold Goddess. When my editor got the manuscript, she said, you know, this has grown so far beyond just that, that concept. We need a, a more robust title for it. And I um, am fond of going to anarchist book fairs. And so I had just been at an anarchist book fair, and I saw um, a book titled something about jailbreaking Harriet Tubman and the memory of, of our, of our um, you know, ancestors. And I was like, the concept of jailbreaking on that level is just so potent. And so I kind of like almost jokingly threw out the jailbreaking title to my editor and she was like, took it to the sales meeting and she came back and she was like, okay, we'll go with it. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) I had this moment of like fear and doubt. I was like, can, oh my God, can I really do that? But I love it. And I'm very happy that that is the title that landed. Well, good, good. You know, I love the title. Um, But, you know, I wonder if you've run across what I have run into uh, as well. I mean, you're talking about the goddess uh, as a archetype energy uh, ideal for liberation, for social justice. Um, You know, I found that a lot of people aren't making that connection just yet. You know, they're still stuck in maybe Wicca 101, you know, doing love spells and, um, you know, prosperity spells and, and or maybe just working with the wheel of the year. But, you know, they haven't really brought it to this activism level that I am assuming you have. And I, I right. wonder if I've, I've run, if you've run into that and they don't understand the title. Um, you know, I definitely think that that is probably the case that there are some people who read it and just miss it entirely. Um, but the, the people who are attracted to the title, of course, already kind of, I think, maybe have that bias towards social justice activism. And so that is nice to have that as the starting point is a basic assumption of shared values and shared language. And, and right. for those who do not have that as a basis, I definitely give enough um, as I go throughout the book, I definitely give enough um, opportunity for people to catch up and, and get aligned in that way because for me I think that one of the main things is are we aligned is our magic and our theology and our activism and our sociology and our values are they all aligned right 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 yeah I've been I've been calling it reconciling our spirituality with our politics Um, definitely and 
so you know, so jailbreaking the goddess is part of that title, also pointing to uh, releasing the sacred feminine energy in this dominator patriarchal uh, exploitation world that we live in. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. And, you know, a big part, one of the things that I like to point out is, you know, of course, the divine is far beyond our ability to pin it down. <laughs> you know, I believe true, that the divine is, is way beyond what we can conceptualize even. Yet, our concepts of the divine are what we really interface with. So what we're really doing in the process of jailbreaking the goddess is we're jailbreaking our own consciousness. Very good point. Very good point. I like that. So let me ask you, what what was your path that um, took you to this, um, you know, this idea of activism and social justice and connected it with goddess? And, I mean, did you go through the Wicca 101 phase and just evolve to there, or did you just, you know, jump there from the beginning? I'm, I'm just kind of curious how you right. um, got there. Well, I was I was raised um, in paganism, so I'm I'm a second generation ordained clergy member uh, in in a pagan church. Um, I was raised as an activist. I was raised with a very strong ethic around social activism, um, and so for me it was just a natural extension. But I will also say that I had. A, you know, I don't want to sound grandiose or anything, so I, I try to shy away from terms that um, aren't easily understood. But I, ha- I had, I was pretty awake as a kid <laughs> to the point where it was kind of painful, you know. And I think a lot of folks can relate to that, you know, those of us who are sensitive and, and know that, that the world doesn't end at our skin, you know, that, that there's more out there, that it's all an extension of us. And that awareness for me when I was very young became dominant and I became, I gave myself over to activism at a very young age, very, very young. Um, and thankfully I had parents who were willing to um, facilitate that and who, who agreed that that was a worthwhile way to uh, invest my energy. Right, right. Well, you're lucky, uh, you know, as you, you know, you uh, called yourself a second generation, uh, because for so many of us, we didn't grow up in that environment. Uh, you know, some of us were still, you know, in the Bible Belt or, um, you know, had to make that leap uh, and, and find uh, find paganism, find goddess. Um, and uh, so, so, yeah, you were really uh, fortunate to be born into it. And, you know, maybe it won't be so long before uh, the majority of us uh, are born into it rather than finding it at 30, 40, 50, uh, you know, years of right. age. So, yeah, my, um, my so mom was actually, my mom was raised Protestant um, and then found, you know, found paganism as part of her back to the land orientation, although she definitely was not, she didn't allow Protestantism to um, to hinder her spiritual uh, pursuit either. So she was definitely not just Protestant growing up, um, but that was what she was raised. So do you have a particular area of activism that calls to you? Well, uh, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time doing a lot of different kinds of activism. When I was young, it was nuclear disarmament. When I was a little, you know, a child, it was nuclear disarmament. Um, then uh, environmental activism has been a huge part of my uh, trajectory and social justice, you know, um, everything from prison reform to 
to uh, electoral politics, you know, uh, across and, and, you know, like food, not bombs, et cetera, pretty much everything and anything. However, I would say, you know, when people say, you know, how do you define yourself? I mean, I define myself as a feminist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Um, yeah, and uh, sometimes it's hard to, um, you know, eco-feminist, goddess advocate, pagan, Wiccan, priestess, so many, so many of these labels and so many of which uh, almost have to be rehabilitated, you know, uh, so that people Absolutely. understand uh, who we are, you know. Um, so l- let's talk a little bit about uh, Maiden Mother Crone and the Fivefold Goddess. Um, I know it's become pretty popular over the last few years to um, expand Maiden Mother Crone to Maiden Mother Queen and Crone. Some people, I think, call it um, the you know the Queen uh, part of a woman's life, Empress, or you know something to that effect. But you have a fivefold model. Um, yeah. So, do you do tell tell me what the five phases are? Okay. Yeah. Definitely. So, and and I will say that I was working on this for a long time before I got to the point where I realized that I just had to like, instead of taking maiden, mother, and crone and nesting other aspects in. For example, I was working with maiden, warrior, mother, queen, crone as mm-hmm. the five for a while. And then I realized that, one, I'm an anarchist, and, and I don't really necessarily <laughs> believe in the, the, the static hierarchy model. And two, um, I'm, I'm an anti-interventionist. Like, I don't really believe in war as, uh, as the touchstone of humanity. And so for me, moving my, you know, consciously, again, that question of where am I aligned right? Moving away from terms that mean something other than I mean when I say them feels very important to me. So Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. actually just went, you know, I went completely from, from working with that to being like, you know, know what I need to do. What's, what's being called for, for me is to find terms that we can use to create a new way of interfacing with the seminal divine. And okay. so the five terms that I chose are Latin terms. They're famella, which means girl, potens, which means like strength, powerful, mm-hmm. creatrix, which means female creator, uh, sapientia, which means knowledge and awareness, and mm-hmm. antifa, which means ancient woman. Mm, nice. Right. So we have a wider range. Um, one of the really major elements that make the fivefold model different from the threefold model is that the fivefold model is not based in our biology. True. True. Good point. Yeah. Well, not that yeah. que- not that queen not that queen is based on our biology, but you know, maiden mother crone tends to be exactly. A bit. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, well, and even yeah. even if we can break it out, even if we can move out of it and be like it's a metaphor or it's just an idea or it's a concept, you know, it's still words that we're using that have meaning. Words mean things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, you know, and and by having the fivefold goddess uh, rather than three or even the four, uh, you're opening up so many more options, so much more potential uh, for women to see themselves. Um, 
uh, you know, with with more diversity, with so much more wholeness. Um, so uh, I, I like that. I, I really do. Um, so um, I, I guess I, I forgive me for asking you. Um, do you mind if I ask you how old you are? Uh, I'm 45. Yeah, I don't mind at all. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm 45, All right. and so I'm I'm a you know I'm I'm I, I consider myself a grown up. <laughs> um, okay. But okay. definitely, but I definitely see myself as being in that liminal space between you know my I have two children, they are 17 and 19, and so they're you know mostly grown, um, and you know one of them is living out outside the home now, going to college. And then my younger kid is in their senior year of high school. And so I'm in this place where it's like that, that intensive period of time where you spend all, so much of your energy focusing on parenting your children. That's drawing to a close for me. Yet I still don't see myself as Crohn's status, you know. So mm-hmm. that was one of, the, one of those quandaries that brought me to the place that I'm, that I'm at. In addition to having a number of female friends and male friends who are choosing not to have children. Mm-hmm. You know, and who don't see themselves in the threefold model because it doesn't, they didn't, they haven't felt like it had space to recognize their growing into themselves um, without right, becoming right. mothers. Well, yeah, I know we, uh, that, that was awkward. I mean, I'm childless by choice, and uh, that threefold model, when I first started out, uh, was all there was, uh, that as, as far as I know. Um, and, yeah, I always sort of felt a little weird about the mother part because I had no desire to have children. So what the women in our community did uh, to sort of um, work around that, because, I, of course, I wasn't the only one, um, you know, right. we sort of saw it as a creatrix where, you know, maybe you birthed projects or ideas or books or organizations or businesses or something like that. You know, it didn't have to necessarily be biological children. But, the, you know, the other problem was um, because there were only three, um, you know, it automatically took you from that um, mothering place to uh, crone. And, you know, just when you were at your, your maybe your most potent and your most um, experienced, when you really could be a force out there in the world, um, you know, they were going to relegate you to crone now and sort of retire you rather than take advantage of that, uh, you know, that, that life of experience that you could be as, uh, as a queen or you would call it, what was the term? Create or uh, sapientia in the fivefold model. So sapientia would be between creatrix and antiqua. Okay. Okay. All right. Or Very create, cool. creatrix. So creatrix is the. So we have famella, which is the child, potens, who is like the youth. Then we have creatrix. So creatrix might be the stage that you're that you're talking about. And then we have sapientia. So the cool thing about it is that. For many of us, I think that threefold model, one, because it's based in our actual biological function, it doesn't feel flexible to us. But for many of us, our trajectories are flexible. They eddy and spiral and turn back in on themselves. And so, like, I might be in potens in a love relationship and in sapientia in my career. 
true. Very, very, uh, very astute. Yeah. So, so let me ask you. Two questions come to mind uh, because I, I remember reading this somewhere, but I don't know if I actually vetted the information. The original idea of Maiden Mother Crone was that created by Robert Graves or some other guy way back when? Yeah. From, uh, do you, from what it, I, yeah. From what I understand, yes, it was created by Robert Graves, and um, and uh, you know, and and it, there's a question of like where it originated, but but the fact is, even if it wasn't created directly by him, it, it is still, in my opinion, a patriarchal interpretation of women's mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's where I was going with this. Is that isn't it interesting that a man puts a woman in these three narrow little boxes and doesn't really see her. Well, I mean, I'm sure he was a product of his time, you know. Um, However, it's it's, it's still, you know, there's still, it's problematic because women are so much more now. You know, they have grown out of that, um, you know, that, that small little box where that's all they can hope to be in their life. Um, you know, I'm I'm wondering um, these the fivefold goddess. Is there a way to apply it to men as well? Is it gender oriented, uh, or or is there a way to lend it, uh, you know, lend it to the male gender to have, uh, you know, phases of their life, you know, maybe with a right, uh, you know, you know, with the masculine uh, version of right. of the Latin word or something. Right. Yeah, that's a definitely a good question. And, you know, I mean, part of me wants to do that and, and create the male analog for this fivefold model. I want to say two things about that. One is um, because this model is not based in our biology, it's inclusive. So if a man feels inspired to do goddess worship, he isn't going to have the hurdles that he would have with that, you know, owning of a uterus um, part of it. Yeah, so men can access the feminal divine through the fivefold model a lot more easily um, it, without having to do a lot of, like, making it fit. Um, and then uh, the other thing that I want to say is with Sexy Witch, people were always like, when are you going to write the one for men? And I was like, and it was men who would ask. And I was like, you know, you're, you're going to have to do that because, one, it's not really my job. And, two, I'm not the expert. Like, you you man are the expert on men things. And so you do, do your man thing and write sexy witch for men or sexy warlock or whatever you want to call it, you know? Um, and, and, and it never actually came to pass. Although a couple of men were like, I think I'll do that. You know, it, it never quite happened, but um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a chance that I could write the fivefold God um, and I could do it. But the question is, you know, I'd, I'd want to find a male co-author just to make that happen in a way that felt authentic. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I, you took the words right out of my mouth. That, that feels like the way to go. And, you know, in, in the idea maybe of even gender, a gender neutral model, because, you know, I, I think as we evolve and, you know, we start to vibrate on a higher level, you know, I think mm-hmm. more and more of us are getting out of this duality of the gender because we see, you know, we have masculine and feminine uh, in all of us. So yeah. let's just get 
you know, let I, I can imagine I can hear some of my women friends cringing because they're going to say, "Oh God, Karen, you're erase, you know, you're perpetuating the erasure of women." No, I don't think I am. You know, I think you know we just have to evolve beyond the duality. Right. Um, I, I because agree. yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, because I, I was going to say, you know, otherwise I think it traps women and men in these boxes. And uh, mm-hmm. people who are, are, are less evolved and aware, uh, it takes them longer to catch on that, uh, you know, these attributes or values that we sort of label feminine, well, they're not just for women. You know, and likewise, what we label masculine isn't just for men. You know, it's for all of us. We all need to be whole, whole human beings. And, um, you know, there was a time when I didn't believe we needed to get beyond the gender, but I've come to that place. Yeah. Yeah, I totally hear you. And I will say that Jailbreaking the Goddess does a lot of that work. Um, I, mm-hmm. I identify on the non-binary scale. I don't identify as as female uh, you know I mean I do identify as female but female is only part of my identification um, and so uh, so I don't want to say I don't identify as female because female is definitely part of my identification but it's not all of it and so um, so throughout jailbreaking I definitely talk a lot about dismantling the binary it's a huge element of the book so um, and at the same time, I do resort to the feminal divine. And that is because we do have gender. We have gender as a frame. And so while we have gender as a frame, I believe it's essential that we do find ways to empower the feminine. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. at the same time, a, a, a non-binary model would be excellent. And who knows, that may be in, in the cards at some point. Uh, you know, it's definitely an area that I'm drawn to. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the role of religion and how it informs cultures, uh, social norms, and, and vice versa. Um, are there changes you hope to see come out of uh, this uh, spiritual model um, you know, beyond what we've uh, beyond what we've chatted about, maybe there's a you want to language it a different way, or there's more to it. You know, I mean, I think the main thing that that I want to bring forward, or that that I'm hoping will come forward through the experience of people reading this book, the main thing that I'm hoping for is that people will find their way to that sense of alignment between their spiritual and and mythological elements and their actual feet on the ground praxis that they mm-hmm. will get to mm-hmm. the point where they all you know where they are in intimate relationship with their spiritual journey and it's not something that rests outside of their sense of self right 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 you know, um, and, and then well, and ultimately I- too the the, the, the whole concept of our collective liberation. So it's not just about my liberation or my spiritual process, but it's about how does my spiritual process meet up with my community? How does it meet up with the world? Where do I fit in and, and how can I affect change using my position, using my privilege, using my awareness of, of position and privilege? How can I create positive change in the world? 
So if someone who knew not too much about this came up to you and said, uh, well, do you associate uh, particular goddesses with particular social justice or uh, something to that effect, um, you know, uh, do you or uh, is it more the, you know, goddesses sort of a universal energy as opposed to particular goddesses with particular myths might, you know, point to different uh, areas of liberation? Um, so I, I left a lot of room for people to do their own plugging in. Um, one of the things that I did with Jailbreaking the Goddess was that for each of the five aspects, I give kind of a list of different deities that people may already be working with that fit into the five aspects. Mm-hmm. And then, but then also, uh, you know, leaving room for, and, and with a lot of awareness of like, don't just co-opt somebody's God system, right? Mm-hmm. That we need to be in right relationship with um, with our with the communities of the deities, right? Mm-hmm. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So, so knowing that spirituality is relational, knowing that it is potent, knowing that it is a doorway for change, like I'm not really um, advocating for people to necessarily just like scrap it all and start over, but like how do the deities that you already interact with, how might they fit into this fivefold model? Okay. And, uh, well, also, too, I mean, you have the problem of, you know, some people might not even have come to the point where they realize that there are patriarchal myths of goddess, you know, where goddesses are sort of a a shadow of their former self or power or glory. Uh, And there are uh, pre-patriarchal myths where uh, I, I think maybe the values that we're probably talking about stay a little bit more intact. Um, I'm wondering if that's part of your conversation in um, Jailbreaking the Goddess. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, You know, part of what I'm talking about uh, is that sense of really coming into relationship with deity and not necessarily just relying on written to get an idea for the goddess, right? Mm-hmm. But that actually, like, sitting with the goddess, I, ha- I, I offer a lot of practicum on how to engage in real time with deity. So you're not, so goddess to you isn't just an archetype or an ideal. It's, a, it's, it's also a practice. Yes, yeah, definitely. And also, you know, like, I believe in, uh, like, whole on theory which is like there's a whole and we all exist as part of the whole undifferentiated but then also we exist as differentiated individuals and i believe the god the gods and goddesses are like that as well that like there is a there's an undifferentiated you know heart of it all that we may come home to in certain moments but but that there also are those existing goddesses that we can actually enter into actual authentic relationship with. 
Okay. No, and I agree with you. I mean, once you've had some of these, uh, some of this reciprocity, you know, where you actually feel like there is somebody on the other plane uh, who hears you and responds, then it makes all the difference in the world, you know. Um, and, and, it, and then it's hard uh, for you to, you know, maybe believe what some people say that, you know, goddess is just a psychological construct or it's anti-intellectual to believe that there is uh, something out there bigger than us, you know, that uh, cares about us in any form or fashion. Right. And, you know, caring for even is such an interesting concept. Um, you know, it, uh, it's the, the question of, like, what kind of gods do you interact with? Um, what are the rules of reciprocity within that pantheon? Uh, so much of it is so specific to the actual deity force that you're interacting with. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I think. I think. You you know what I mean? I think. I feel like there's not a static answer to that. There's. It's like so variable. You know, and but that I. I do think that we can. And one of the things that I offer tools around in Jailbreaking the Goddess is, um, that you can create agreements with the deities. You don't have to settle Mm -hmm. for being treated a way you wouldn't be treated with a relationship with a mortal, for example. Okay. Right. So, so elaborate on that a little bit, uh, uh, creating agreements with deity. So I give some guidelines for creating a contract. Um, and, like, I also talk about the, poss- the process of spirit possession. Um, and so um, that idea of, of allowing a deity into your body, and that's really if – if one is interested in doing that kind of work, it can really be an amazing, cathartic, like intense experience that can actually leave you informed in a way that you weren't before you had that deity in you. I believe Mm -hmm, that it's quite mm -hmm. possible that the deities actually inform our DNA when they come into our bodies. I mean, I've had some really amazing experiences with spirit possession. And so If one is interested in that kind of work, though, one of the things that I put forth is, like, before you allow a deity into your body, it's a good idea to get some clear agreements down around what kind of treatment of your body is okay. Okay. Right? So, like, in my case, for example, I don't eat gluten. I don't eat wheat, right? I have a a cohort member, uh, a member of a priesthood I'm part of, who also doesn't eat wheat. And every time that she allowed this one deity in, she was aspecting this one deity as part of an initiation cycle for a group that we were initiating. Every time she allowed this deity in, she would that deity would eat bread, and she would <laughs> end up paying for it. Right, 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 right. right. It would I... fill her body. <laughs> Right, right. Well, and, you know, you're reminding me of, uh, like, the Yoruban, you know, uh, uh, you know, religion, you know, where they invite the deities in and the loas, you know, kind of, I think they call it ride them, you know. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, but, I mean, I've done aspecting myself and, uh, you know, with ISIS. And uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I know what you're talking about and this idea of agreements, uh, uh, yeah, because you, you maybe don't want to do something that you might not normally do, and uh, that's uh, exactly. you know, that's that's probably 
Yeah, although, you know, I kind of would imagine, um, well, I mean, I guess it varies from person to person, and I'm just talking off the top of my head here because obviously that happened with your friend. Um, But I guess I would, uh, you know, I I would wonder um, if somebody could actually um, end up doing something that they didn't want to do. I mean, you know how you always hear when in hypnosis you really wouldn't do something that you wouldn't normally right. do. Um, so anyway, that's just a curious right. thought. Right, De- uh, definitely. I mean, you know, and well, and there were other cases too in in my experience throughout, and I've been in a lot of different situations where aspecting occurred, and there were some things that went down that were not totally copacetic in some cases like agreements mm-hmm. being pushed or even broken that really it would have been ideal for them not to be pushed or broken. And so like one could argue that maybe that person wanted that thing to happen, but like they didn't really want it to happen. And so, mm-hmm. um, so, and so what came out, what is coming out in this book, you know, in jailbreaking is just, after you know it's literally i've been at this for like 20 i've been aspecting no more than that 30 years literally 30 years i think i aspected for the first time when i was 15 um and so i've been at it for a long time and so like what i'm offering out is kind of like some of the accumulated tools and wisdom that we've um acquired in my community uh by way of trial and error really Right, right, right. Well, that that was uh, that was generous and valuable. So you actually do teach people aspecting and jailbreaking the goddess. Yes, I do. I do. Okay. I offer okay. some ways that people can start their own process and and with safety guards in place. And I also talk about the risks and why one wouldn't want to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and but then also the value and the reasons that we might want to and one of the reasons that we might want to allow a, a deity into our body is because you know out of devotion because what I've experienced is that when a deity has an opportunity to be in a human body that they they love that they they appreciate it it's something that they enjoy and so it's like a deep merging you know it's it's um, you know, I don't want to eroticize it, but it's like that. I mean, there are erotic elements of it. There are erotic elements of most things, but it's more than just that. But it is that mm-hmm. level of merging, you know. Okay. And, um, I, well, you know, and, and I don't want you to, you know, give away all the secrets here, but, um, you know, what are some of the ways to aspect? Um, you know, I know my experience has been oftentimes, you know, uh, it's easier to do it if you're sleep-deprived, if you have been fasting, uh, that kind of thing. Sometimes if maybe it even happens by accident, if you're, mm-hmm. um, you know, have, have a particular medication uh, or something that sort of, you know, lowers the, you know, uh, your consciousness in a way. Um, you know, I, I'm wondering what, what um, I mean, are any of those your methods or do you have other methods? I have other methods. One of the things that that I'll, a little tip that I'll give, and I really do recommend that people read the whole section before they dabble uh, because mm-hmm. it does uh, really allow people to get a clear idea of what they're getting into and also sure. it gives you tools to guide the experience. So I do highly recommend that people read the section before they dabble. But 
one of the things that can be done is that you can charge or dedicate a piece of jewelry or a mask or a scarf um, or, you know, what, what, whatever kind of thing that you can put on and take off. A hat, literally mm-hmm. anything that you can put mm-hmm. on and take off. And you can dedicate that to the deity. You can say, this is yours, and as long as I'm wearing it, you're welcome to come in. Interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and then you can create the putting on of that thing as a ritual unto itself, and then that is the doorway, and then the deity can come in, and then when you're ready to let the deity go, you can take the thing off and put it back on your altar. Yeah, it becomes a trigger. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, and and that actually reminds me of the first time I did it. To tell you the truth, we had created a throne, and we uh, covered it with beautiful cloths and furs, and uh, and you know that was supposed to be where the goddess would sit, and those were her things. And uh, we each took a turn sitting in the chair and going through a guided meditation where we invited the goddess in. And it was interesting because the moment I, you know, I, I, I didn't consciously do this, but, you know, the moment I sat in the chair, something sort of, I don't know, just uh, inspired me to, um, you know how sometimes you see Isis with her two arms uh, crossed over her in in, in front mm-hmm. of her, yes. um, and I yeah. sort of did that with the flowing fabric that you know fell to either side of the chair, and you know put my arms under it, cross my arms over, and that seemed to be a trigger. And you're reminding mm-hmm. me of that, actually, you know, when you said, uh, you know, putting on jewelry, hat, whatever, because now I'm maybe giving more, um, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't think so much of that movement or, the, or that fabric as being so important in the process, but maybe now it actually was more important than I realized. Mm-hmm. Just you know, right. well, food and, for thought. And, and in my yeah, and in my in one of my traditions, for example, growing up, we had a May royalty tradition, and there was a piece of jewelry that was passed from the queen to the queen and the king to the king. You know, the success, the succession, and so mm-hmm. that piece of jewelry. And then over the years, there was other regalia that came along with it, and. Uh, and so those items were charged, and they were worn as uh, as a doorway to that um, being in that space. Right, and it well, was you know, you that, know, and that also... came that that definitely came out of a need to be able to literally put down the aspect at times. Because if you're aspecting for a year, or in one of the mystery schools that I work with, um, we do a two year initiation cycle. So if you're mm-hmm. aspecting for two years you need to be able to have really clear boundaries about when you are willing to show up to that work and when you just are not. Sure. Well, and and you're making me think of, uh, you know, how priestesses would do some of this stuff in ancient times as well. You know, I'm thinking of the Pythias at at Delphi. You know, uh, who knows, uh, you know, how exactly they did what they did. You know, maybe they had uh, something like that to help them 
you know, channel the divine energy. Um, I'm thinking too about the uh, the priestesses in, in ancient Egypt. Um, it was, you know, in, in a lot of the research I've done, you know, it was the sistrum, uh, you know, the magical right. uh, instrument, mm-hmm. and also the the manat collar. Uh, you know, it was said that when the priestesses wore the collar or used the sistrum, uh, that they embodied the goddess. Uh, and mm-hmm. you know you could you know you could take that a lot of ways. You could say, well, you know, when they wore these things, people saw them as the deity on earth. But maybe they also were aspecting when they used these tools or you know wore that particular garment. Anyway, well, you know, we may be going a little far afield here, uh, so I, I apologize there. <laughs> but it's um, but, uh, no, it's very interesting. It, it is, it. yeah. It's it actually is. something that not a lot of people are have um, have picked up this thread out of uh, all the interviews that I've done about the book. So it's actually been quite quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, leave it to leave it leave it to me. Um, well, well, your other book, the Sexy Witch. Um, I, I don't know much about it. Um, is that about reclaiming our sacred sexuality, or um, it is? It's, you know, it, yeah, it's self-referential sexuality and spirituality, and it's basically a workbook for women designed to uh, deconstruct our sexual identity. And then basically take us to like a, a ground zero, you know, blank slate as much as possible, and then rebuild our sexual and spiritual um, experience of our body. Okay, okay. So um, now you do uh, coaching and I guess workshops and things like that. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Definitely, yes. I I have been I love teaching and I love coaching. It's really my passion and I'm just uh I'm incredibly grateful that people trust me to take them on these journeys because it's really what I you know, I feel like it's what I'm here for. It's my passion. So um I offer workshops. I used to offer workshops on Sexy Witch for like, you know, almost a decade after it was published. And then I wrote Jailbreaking, and now I don't teach on Sexy Witch anymore, but I do teach on Jailbreaking. I'm actually starting my fourth cycle of Jailbreaking the Goddess um, starting in November, and it's a seven-month initiation cycle based on the five-fold model. Interesting. And it's amazing. So, yeah, it's amazing. It's online. It's totally online. And people, so I have, I've had students in Japan and Spain and like, um, you know, the UK and all over the States, Canada, Mexico. I've had, I've had um, people taking the class from all over the world, literally. So that's been great. So it's and not then, really uh, like a, a it's not really like a year and a day thing. It's um a, so it, it it doesn't necessarily coincide with the wheel of the year. It's more of just following the seven the fivefold path. Exactly. It's it's basically an opportunity to work on praxis in a in a committed group where you your experience is held as safe and sacred and you have a place where you know as any of us who who have been through initiation cycles know stuff comes up stuff comes up to be dealt with stuff comes up to be healed stuff comes up to be addressed and i feel that when we have a uh you know a committed group that that process is just so much more um bearable so much more fruitful 
Uh, and so that's what I offer is a container where people can go through their initiation and be supported in it. Um, okay. And then also, and then also I'm, I'm actually working on a teacher training that will be starting in 2017 uh, because people have told me that they want to teach out of the book. And I just want to make sure that everybody's on the same page if they're teaching out of the material and calling it, you know, jailbreaking the goddess. So, so I'll be yeah, doing yeah, that. And that'll be, that'll be like a priestess, uh, priestess path. So, um, so part of what you do is online, so you don't have to be physically in the same place, but do you also offer classes in your hometown? And if you do, where, where are you located? I'm in Northern California. I live in Mendocino County, and I'm actually offering a um, four-day retreat on Jailbreaking the Goddess in early June of 2017. It's going to be fantastic. Um, And so that is happening. I also do uh, coaching, and if people are local to me, we can do uh, coaching in person, but I mostly do coaching online uh, via Zoom, a platform which I love. Uh, but I also do like intensives if someone wants to do like a two-day ritual uh, and coaching immersion. I do tailored one-on-one um, initiation process for in a in a very uh, submersive environment. So do, are there? Uh, do you recommend people? Uh, I'm going to use the word prerequisite because I'm not really sure how else to say it. Other, other than, mm-hmm. uh, do, I mean, w- would you take a newbie, or is this for people who have had a little bit of experience already? You know, I think if someone finds me, then they probably found me for a reason. Um, and so I work with people who are not spiritually oriented at all. Um, I work with people who are who are clergy in their own right. I work with pretty much it, the for me what matters the most is that we match and mm-hmm. everything else is beside the point. If we match then then we'll work together. Okay. And I think you had some special offer that uh, you wanted to I make do, sure you mentioned. It's true. I'm going to offer $75 off. Um to anyone who's listening to this podcast. So you can um, find me on Facebook, Lasara Firefox Allen, um, or on my website, LasaraFirefoxAllen.com. You can also find me on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, I'm Lasara underscore Allen at Twitter. Um, I'm pretty findable, so you can definitely look me up, drop me a note, and I'll send you a personal link to take advantage of $75 off any of my coaching packages. Okay, okay, very cool. Well, um, you know, is there anything we haven't chatted about uh, that you want to make sure you you mention? Uh, you know, maybe something I failed to ask you, you feel is an you know, important um, you know, area we didn't go into? You know, I feel like it was a very fun and um, creative interview, and uh, I feel like I covered all the bases. I definitely would love to hear from anybody who listened to it, and uh, I hope to see folks at my retreat in June. And definitely I'm still taking registration for my seven-month initiation cycle, which is a fantastic, phenomenal experience. I mean, I've I've had just amazing experiences in the initiation cycle so far, and I'm really looking forward to the next one starting up. 
And and listeners shouldn't forget your sexy witch book either because, uh, oh, you know, we've all been so damaged when it comes to our uh, our sexuality, you know, thanks to the Abrahamic religions and their, uh, you know, their taboos and all of their fears around sexuality. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, I, I would imagine, a very worthwhile and healing uh, book of yours as well. Definitely. And that book is currently out of print, but Llewellyn has been talking about putting it back into print. So if people are interested in Sexy Witch, please contact Llewellyn and let them know that you want to order. Okay. And in the meantime, would it be bad to suggest that maybe they could get used copies on Amazon or, or no, they don't even have them there? They, no, they, they, there are some copies, but they are going way above market value at this point. Um, you are occasionally able to find one at the price that the label price, but, but mostly they're available for a lot more. I sell autographed copies that are previously owned for um, like $40 right now. Um, and mm-hmm. so if people want an autographed copy, I do find copies as I can, and I do resell them. So you can definitely order, okay. and you can order from me off of Amazon. Okay. Well, and, you know, no. let me just say that, um, you know, between the five-fold work and the sacred sexuality, um, you're, you're doing such awesome stuff, I think, to in, empower women and uh, help them heal and come to a place of, of wholeness uh, and, you know, to be the leaders in the world that uh, women really need to be. So kudos to you, Lazara. Thank you so much. That really does mean just so much to me. Well, you know, you just yeah. uh, you just keep at it, and and here you are. You're growing. Uh, you're growing. You're raising the third generation of uh, of goddess advocates. It <laughs> I, is true. I, it I, is I'm, true. I have I, my my older kid. My 19 year old is definitely um, self identified as a witch, and my younger kid, who is a trans youth, um, is uh, agnostic. So, but um, we raised them with a lot of freedom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I would imagine, um, you know, having a trans person in your family, you realize the the importance and the value of uh, getting beyond gender. Definitely, definitely, it's it's a hugely, um, you know, I mean, we get the medicine that we that we ask for, and thankfully, my family was prepared to take care of this young one who. Uh, you know, who came through us. And so, um, you know, we feel, you know, blessed really to have this, uh, you know, front front row seat on, on the new, you know, this new age where we really can become exactly who we are intended to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think about how far behind we are. Uh, I mean, you know, I think it's, you know, other cultures, you know, have so many more uh, genders than just two you know, like like Absolutely. we tend to, you know, and uh, we're we're just so archaic and beyond the times when it comes to this, and it's just so sad uh, when you see all of this hoopla um, around this. Um, you know, people really just need to grow up and evolve. I mean, I, I mean that's how Absolutely. I feel about it. So. I talk I talk about this so much in jailbreaking too. There's like, um, and I believe, and I don't think that there's been a really thorough study done yet. But I believe that if we were to do a tally of indigenous cultures, that we would find that the binary is really a limited view and that mostly the binary is not where people rest. 
mostly the binary is not an accurate interpretation of gender expression or experience or identity. And, uh, you know, there are some, some communities that have like 16 genders. Uh, you know, one of the concepts that I really love is the concept of metagender. Uh, it's just it's just endless. The diversity is amazing, and and it's really um, uh, such a an important element for us to break free of that sense of like limitation that that colonization in the form of gender binary has really placed on us. Well, and I wonder. I'll just ask this question of you because you know you're living it, so you are certainly more experienced than I. But uh, you know, what just seems logical to me um, is maybe the trans person is even more possibly uh, more connected to both their masculine and feminine or male or female selves than people who aren't. You know, people who are just kind of stuck as one or the other. So in a way, you know, maybe they're closer to wholeness than, um, you know, people who, uh, who aren't a trans person. Is that a crazy thing to, to think? I mean, am, am I, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a sweet thought. I think, I think that our culture is so flawed on the front of uh, gender identity that a lot of the trans people I know, just like, you know, all women have experienced certain things that make us aware of the unfairness of, of um, gender dynamics in our culture. Trans people have experienced incredible inequality. And so most of the trans people I know definitely carry, you know, have, have the, the healer's wound. Uh, and so um, there's that. I would say too, that because gender is, we're expected to have a binary outcome so my kid is non-binary and is trans and is um, doing gender affirmation measures but is still identifying as non-binary. So we need to educate medical professionals, for example, on what it means to gender affirm while non-binary. It's very, very complex, and they're, you know, whether they want to be or not, they're educators and healers, um, and, and even even. And I think the thing that's important is for those of us who who are around people who are in the face of this kind of transformation, you know, that we support them, that we do the heavy lifting when we can, that we make sure that they don't have to do extra work just because of who they are, which yeah, is, you know, well it's a big said. dream. It's not easy, not easy, yeah, but, you yeah, know, yeah, when, when it comes down to... Yeah, do you do you say, you know, for me it comes down to when someone misgenders my child, I say my my child actually identifies as non-binary. Um and so then, you know, I end up doing the educating instead of my kid having to do it all the time. That's just a really pragmatic example. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, well said, well said. Well, Lazara, thank you so much for uh, an insightful and interesting and fun conversation tonight. I really appreciate you being here on the show. And uh, it's been a I hope pleasure. you'll. Yeah, uh, oh, well, uh, you know, ditto here. And uh, I hope you'll, uh, you know, take the link for tonight's show and uh, maybe share it around so more of your peeps, uh, you know, learn about Voices of the Sacred Feminine as well. And uh, I'm so glad to have your uh, your wisdom in the archives. Definitely. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor. It's been really sweet. So thanks for having me. Okay. All right. Good night. Good night. 
Okay, uh, great conversation. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And um, moving on to the next part of the show, we're sort of crossing the threshold into the second half here. And uh, we got a word from Joe Carson. Give a listen. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree. And I came out of it. This is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, you've been listening to the trailer for Dancing with Gaia, which is Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. Uh, in it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of the goddesses Gaia. Well, Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this film. These spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. If you've always wanted to see them yourself but haven't, this is a great opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini book, which goes even deeper into the material. You can buy the DVD and booklet for only $20 at dancingwithgaia.com. And I don't want you to forget about uh, Joe Carson's newest book, Celebrate Wildness. Uh, here's what Dana Corby uh, said about it in her blog, uh, The Rant and Raven. She said, and I quote, when people wonder aloud how the Wicca of Southern California became so much more nature-oriented and wild than the British traditions from which it arose, the one factor they don't take into account but should is feriferia. Feriferia, a word Fred Adams coined from Greek roots meaning wilderness festival, is a pagan tradition unlike any other. Based on Fred's visions of the divine feminine, the sacredness of eros, and the potential for intentional communities that truly do no harm to anything, it also draws upon themes familiar to Wiccans such as sacred landscapes, prehistoric beliefs, and the fairy faith. Fred intended that Feriferia should lead the world into a paradisal future in which freedom, eros, and play are the core values, where that built by human hands merges seamlessly into the wild and the fae romp among us. Celebrate Wildness is a unique, exquisite, and profound book. It created in me a sort of homesickness, Dana says, a wistfulness for the idealist I was. We all were, back when we and the world and the magic were all young and fresh. It's a short book, only 115 pages, but it is art-laden, filled with art. Don't expect to read it quickly. Take your time. Let it sink into your subconscious, and what bobs to the surface will be wondrous. Unquote. Celebrate Wildness is an oversized hardbound book on heavy paper, and it's available for $45 from org. Okay, well, I promised I would get to um, the five ways uh, that you can help animals if uh, that feels like something you want to make as your focus. 
the first, um, uh, I'd like to uh, chat. Well, let's let's do the five. Um, and I think what we'll do moving forward into like maybe the next. Uh, you know, shows uh, in the coming weeks is talk about these in a little bit more detail. But the five ways to help animals are, number one, you can purchase cruelty-free cosmetic products. You can, uh, number two, report evidence of puppy mills or animal fighting operations. Number three, you can be uh, an animal rescue team volunteer. Number four, uh, knowing when to care for an injured baby wild animal, because sometimes it's best not to disturb them. They're not really in danger. Uh, number five, be an advocate for animals in your community. Yes, those are five things you can do to help animals, and we'll go into a little bit more detail, uh, those things. Uh, maybe we'll take one or two a week and uh, explore each in a little bit more detail. But you also, uh, if you're an animal lover, uh, you know, whether you have your just your own at home or you're an advocate for animals, um, you need to be ready for any emergency with a disaster preparedness kit. Uh, one never knows when the next hurricane flood, tornado, wildfire, or other natural disaster may strike. These events can be traumatic for families, but they can also be traumatic for pets. That's why it's important to make sure your family and pets are ready for disaster by putting together a disaster preparedness kit. Uh, some basic items to consider for your uh, disaster kit might include food and water for five days for each pet, bowls and a uh, manual can opener if you're packing canned pet food, People need at least one gallon of water per person per day. While your pet may not need that much, keep an extra gallon on hand to use if your pet's been exposed to chemicals or floodwaters and needs to be rinsed. Also, make sure you have medications and medical records stored in a waterproof container and a first aid kit. A pet first aid book is also a good idea. Uh, cat litter box, litter, litter scoop, uh, garbage bags to collect your pet's waste. Sturdy leashes, harnesses, carriers to transport pets safely and to ensure that your pets can escape. Make sure that your cat or dog is wearing a collar and an ID that's up to date and visible. Carriers should be large enough to allow your pet to stand comfortably, turn around, and lie down. Your pet may have to stay in the carrier for hours at a time, so that's really important. Be sure you have a secure cage with no loose objects inside uh, to accommodate smaller pets who may need blankets or towels for bedding and warmth. Um, current photos of you with your pet and descriptions of your pet uh, to help others identify uh, them in case you and your pet become separated to prove that they're yours uh, once you're reunited. Written information about your pet's feeding schedules, medical conditions, behavior issues, along with the name and number of your vet in case you have to board your pets or place them in foster care. And finally, you may consider having other useful items such as newspaper, paper towels, plastic trash bags, grooming items, or pet toys. So this information comes from the humanesociety.org backslash disaster. If you want to uh, read uh, read that uh, more closely or maybe uh, print out a copy for yourself. Um, now, the other uh, thing I wanted to share with you, uh, and I think I'll probably just do some excerpts because it's a little bit too long, but uh, really valuable, 
I want to thank Dharma for sending this my way, and uh, uh, it was written by Dwayne Townsend. The article is Spirituality, Politics, and Social Change. Uh, I bet you could actually Google it and find it. Um, And uh, it starts out by saying, be the change you want to see in the world. We've all heard that before. Um, And it starts off by saying, um, how did freedom writers and the 60s, American South, carry out their objective, even in the assured knowledge they would be brutalized on arrival to their assigned bus stations? How did civil and voting rights activists stay engaged in the movement, knowing full well that high-pressured water hoses, police dogs, billy clubs, trees and ropes would be their reality? How did one small man fearlessly remain the figurehead, focal point of a colony's resistance to the greatest empire the world uh, has ever known, the British Empire? I think they're probably talking about Gandhi there. How did one small woman, knowing one loose tongue or wrong step would mean her brutal death? How did this small, tenaciously courageous woman spend 10 years freeing hundreds of slaves? All of those instances and uncountable uh, more had one common factor. All of them were people emboldened by an idea, something bigger than themselves. For a period of time, they were living for the ages, not from a mindset of merely personal concern and immediate self-goals, living for something that would reverberate through human history, not to their personal honor, but to the honor of all humanity at that time in history. Here's a Greek proverb. Society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. So, you know, we've all been talking about the paradigm shift, and the article goes on to talk about that a bit. Um, The writer says, I'll get this out of the way now. I promise to never utter these two words again in this piece, paradigm shift. I used to be fond of the term until I realized myself and others had misused, grievously abused, and caused eye rolls by slinging that P.S. paradigm shift term around like it was holy water. Paradigm shift to social changers had become what namaste is to the yoga crowd, rendered meaningless by unconscious overuse, little more than a platitude. What's occurring as we speak is way deeper than P.S., What's happening with humanity today is transformation, metamorphosis, evolution, with all of the resulting denial and resistance by reactionary regressives. It's becoming increasingly apparent that the system as it is cannot be sustained. What's bubbling up now is bigger, deeper, more expansive than the civil rights movement, Indian liberation from Britain, and the women's suffrage movement all together. People are seeing over the walls of the prison yard of perception manufactured for us. We are realizing that cooperation is better than competition. Capitalism doesn't serve the majority of people. Our lives should not be consumed with earning a living. Government should not be in the hands of the government should be in the hands of the people, not the corporate few. War is wasteful not just materially, but more so uh, humanly. We are reflections of each other, reflections of spirit. Systems should serve humanity, not humanity serving a system. And art matters. 
and he says humanity is maturing. So anyway, I'm going to finish up some of this article um, about uh, how it's time for a spiritual uh, revolution um, next week on the show. But I want to thank Dwayne Townsend for uh, this wonderful article, and I would encourage you to go look for it. Uh, Again, it's uh, titled Spirituality, Politics, and Social Change by Dwayne Townsend. Um, Yeah, Uh, I don't know the name of the blog. When I printed this, it all uh, didn't actually... Um, come out. Maybe when I go into the rest of the excerpts next week, I'll be able to give you the source. But uh, as I said, I think you could probably very easily find it. So uh, next week, my guest is Bruno Signacio, and uh, we are going to be talking about how to become a miracle worker with your life. Simple steps to use the almighty ancient technique of, okay, and I know I'm going to murder this, Ho'oponopona. Ho'oponopona. Okay. I know some of my friends and listeners uh, have mentioned um, how potent that uh, technique is and it's really helped them in their lives. So I thought it would be great to have someone who knows a lot about that uh, on the show. So in closing the night, uh, let me once again repeat um, what uh, has become uh, the mottos for the show. And uh, uh, the first is from the German philosopher, author Schoenhauer. Uh, he said, all truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Second, it's violently opposed. And third, it is accepted for being self-evident. Uh, and the second, attributed to Gandhi, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you then you win. Yep, I think that's a perfect example of the evolution. So um, I would just like to uh, remind you that this kind of programming uh, on Blog Talk is not free to hosts like me. Uh, We see more and more how important uh, this kind of media is becoming uh, as the mainstream media does nothing but... uh, Uh, support their corporate masters and uh, really gives us little to uplift ourselves and inspire ourselves. And their journalistic integrity uh, has become a thing of the past. So I remind uh, you, dear listeners, uh, once again, your contributions are needed and welcome. I pay out of my pocket so that uh, the show continues and we can give guests like Lazara a platform to teach and share their wisdom. So I hope, uh, I ask you uh, to please uh, go to my website, KarenTate.com. When you get there, go to the store page, uh, the Goddess store page. Uh, Scroll all the way down to the bottom, past the books, past the free meditations, uh, you know, past the Goddess gift greeting cards. Go all the way down to the bottom, and uh, there are either PayPal buttons um, where you can make a specific donation or the the final one on the page uh, allows you to make a donation of any amount. And I would be most grateful if, um, you know, you could make a commitment to occasionally uh, send a donation, even if it's 5 or $10 a month, uh, because it all adds up. That's just, uh, you know, one or two uh, lattes uh, at Starbucks 
um, instead if you could uh, uh, donate it to Voices of the Sacred Feminine if the show uh, is meaningful to you and it has made a difference in your life. So uh, thank you so very much uh, for your valuable time. Um, You are gas in my tank uh, and you continue to be. as I close off tonight, I'm going to let you hear uh, an outtake from FEM, Women Healing the World. Uh, this was what was left, uh, one of the short uh, two-minute uh, blurbs uh, from my interview when I was in the film FEM. Uh, this got left on the cutting room floor, but I think uh, it's still valuable information. So here goes. Well, yeah, I've had a one-sided view of the divine. And the reason we've had a one-sided view of the divine is because the myths that uh, our society lives by are the myths that only speak about a male god. When, in fact, a goddess has been around for 30 30 or 40,000 years. Uh, We can look to the artifacts. We can look to the archaeological sites. We can look to the textiles. We can look to the myths. But, you know, because religion is about power and politics, uh, the sacred feminine has sort of been swept beneath the sands of time. And uh, the mythology of goddess uh, has been uh, obscured purposefully uh, because this is all about um, uh, uplifting uh, the patriarchy as opposed to um, having a balanced society where you have the attributes of the feminine and the masculine uh, in control in society. So when you consider that uh, one person's myth is another person's religion, uh, and, and when that myth is um, dominated by a male guide, well, then you have male leadership uh, that, that predominates in society. So as a result, women have been subjugated and goddesses uh, become our role models, they become our archetypes. So when we only have a male god that, that is at the center of society, well that sets the male gender up to be the leader of the society and, and that then um, subjugates women to sort of a second class supporting role rather than a partnership, rather than uh, an equal role where they are uh, in a sense, um, you know, looking over humankind together, or men and women, or uh, leading and ruling together. <laughs> 